Welcome to Deep in the Money with Frank Diptola, the weekly investment podcast designed to deliver thoughtful wealth management insight from some of the industry's top thought leaders. This series examines important financial subjects and timely headlines in a lighthearted, honest, and digestible manner, while keeping the fiscal well-being of our listeners first and foremost. So stop accepting ill-advised investment advice and start listening here with your nationally recognized wealth manager, Frank Deptola. Hi, this is Frank Deptola. Today's topic is inflation and printing of money, a common sense discussion about monetary policy and inflation. James A. Garfield once said, whoever controls the volume of money in our country is absolute master of all industry and commerce. When you realize that the entire system is very easily controlled, one way or another, by a few powerful men at the top, you will not have to be told how periods of inflation and depression originate. Inflation, in its most basic sense, is a rise in price levels. Economists believe inflation comes about when the supply of money is greater than the demand for money. Stated another way, when too much money is chasing too few goods and services. Inflation is viewed as a positive when it helps boost consumer demand and consumption, driving economic growth. Inflation is one of the greatest threats to a healthy economy. It eats away at our standard of living if our income doesn't keep pace with rising prices over time. This means that the cost of living increases and a high inflation rate can hurt the economy. One of the worst periods of inflation this country faced was in the 1970s. The video, Money for Nothing, discusses how the Fed's bow to political pressure and refusal to raise interest rates, as they should have done, to pay for the cost of the Vietnam War and War on Poverty, changed the economy. At the time, the gold standard limited the government's ability to print more paper money unless they had enough gold to cover it. The government didn't have enough gold, and they couldn't print more money. So, this made existing dollars more scarce, and in turn, more expensive. For example, the cost of money as reflected in the interest rates banks pay the Fed for overnight borrowing increased from 3.0% in 1967 to 6.2% in 1969. The current federal funds rate target range is 0 to 0.25%. At its meeting next week, the Fed's expected to raise this federal funds rate by a quarter of a point to a half of a point. The large difference between 1967 and today is about two and a half percentage points. If the Fed tries to make up that type of gap in historic rates too quickly, they likely would put the U.S. economy and different other world economies tied closely to the Fed's rate into a large market crash. In August 1971, President Nixon announced a halt to the convertibility of dollars to gold. Up until then, a person theoretically could walk into a bank and exchange her dollars for gold. Breaking the dollars tied to the gold standard allowed the government to print all the money it needed, backed only upon the full faith and credit of the U.S. government to repay. In 1973, the president scrapped the gold standard altogether. In addition to dropping the gold standard, Richard Nixon also imposed harmful wage price controls. 
That move bypassed America's free market economy and ultimately helped cause the hyperinflation of the mid-1970s and led to a decade of stagflation, which is a combination of stagnant economic growth, high unemployment, and high inflation. Stagflation will be a separate topic in an upcoming report, but the bottom line is bad policy decisions by the Fed could drop us into another period of stagflation, which likely would have more serious long-term effects on our economy than a short recession. The Japanese lost the decade of the 1990s to stagflation. That is why some knowledgeable people suggest looking at inflation on a decade-by-decade basis rather than its rate in any particular year. Looking at the effect these moves have on the buying power of the American dollar, it's worth pointing out that what cost $100 to buy in 1971 cost $654.75 in 2021. In 1974, Gerald Ford announced a national Whip Inflation Now campaign aimed at combating inflation by encouraging personal savings and disciplined spending habits in combination with public measures. The campaign was later described as one of the biggest government public relations blunders ever. Ford lost re-election in 1976 to Jimmy Carter. Carter named Paul Volcker as the new Fed chairman on July 25, 1979. Volcker's Fed took tough, unpopular, but ultimately effective policy steps aimed at contracting the money supply rather than targeting interest rates. The days of easy credit turned into the days of very expensive credit. During the ensuing months, inflation peaked at 14.8% in March of 1980, and the prime interest rate rose to 21.5% in 1981. Unemployment rose to over 10%. The federal funds rate rose to 18.33% on June 8, 1981, from 10.61% on July 16, 1979. It then started dropping to 12% in 1981, 8.5% in 1982, and finally to 6.75% by 1986. Arguably, Volcker's Fed served as a foundation for a growing economy during the first seven years of Ronald Reagan's presidency. Although Reagan's economy reaped the benefits of Volcker's tough stance of controlling inflation by withdrawing the money supply, in other words, raising interest rates, he was fired as Fed chair by Reagan on August 11, 1987, because his administration didn't believe he was an adequate deregulator. Let's turn now to monetary policy in the Fed. Investopedia.com states that if a nation's economy were a human body, then its heart would be the central bank. Just as the heart works to pump life-giving blood throughout the body, the central bank pumps money into the economy to keep it healthy and growing. This is known as monetary policy. Our central bank, the Federal Reserve, or Fed, has several methods to control the amount of money in circulation in our country. They include influencing interest rates, the setting or changing of bank reserve requirements, and the printing of money to help fund government-approved programs like the trillion spent on several COVID-19 economic relief programs. For example, on March 26, 2020, in response to the coronavirus pandemic, the Fed reduced 
reserve requirement ratios to 0%, eliminating reserve requirements for all U.S. depository institutions. Using these tools, and depending on whether the Fed is in an expansionary or contraction mode, they can make it easier or more difficult for individuals and companies to borrow money. The Fed can also affect the quantity of money in circulation by buying or selling short-term treasuries and other securities through the New York Fed in the open market, rather than through the U.S. Treasury. This process is known as open market operations. When the central bank buys government securities from commercial banks and institutions, the cash payment those institutions receive from these sales gives them more money to lend out. In this way, the hope is that they will lend to borrowers and help stimulate the economy. This is not always the case. The housing bubble crash in 2008 showed some banks keeping the cash to shore up their required reserves and balance sheet. When this occurs, the Fed has other tools in its arsenal to help stimulate economic growth. When the Fed wants to take money out of the economy, they simply adopt opposite policies to the above. Sometimes, like now, more than monetary policy is required. To try to keep the economy going through a pandemic, our government also has had to pass spending legislation, also known as fiscal policy. Suffice it to say, the Fed cannot approve spending policies. So what's the epilogue to what we're talking about? Currently, interest rates are at a 40-year high and rising. This is one of the results of too much easy money policies for too long. Like 2008, when the Fed pulls the punch bowl of money for nothing, the party can suddenly be over. For example, when the Fed reduced reserve requirements for banks to zero on March 15, 2020, asset prices from investments to housing soared, and trillions of dollars have since been paid out for the COVID-19 stimulus packages, which has fostered bad behavior. Now we must start repaying the price and the cost of that repayment is called higher and rising inflation. Until people are stopped from excessive spending on scarce goods and services, through interest rates reaching an unaffordable point, higher inflation can be expected. The Fed now claims it will start withdrawing punchbowl-type stimulus programs and focus instead on attacking inflation by controlling the amount of money available for people to spend. A March 11, 2022 Wall Street Journal article entitled ECB Plans Quicker Departure from Bond Buying Program points out that the European Central Bank is mirroring Fed actions by phasing, quote, out its large bond buying program sooner than expected and pave the way for interest rate increases this year, underscoring the challenges that Europe faces in managing the potential stagflationary shock caused by Russia's war in the Ukraine, unquote. It goes on to state, quote, trying to stabilize markets while simultaneously rating inflation creates a target conflict. Ultimately, one has to give, unquote. One may want to reconsider whether the hyperinflation of the 1970s and early 1980s can't return. If it does, Given current world geopolitical events and their tremendous ripple effects going on around the world, we all likely will have to rethink about the implications for our personal financial well-being. What happens if gas jumps to $7 a gallon? Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep in the Money with Frank Deptola. 
be sure to subscribe to the show and visit our website, devtola.com, where you can find our Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn channels to stay connected. If you liked what you heard on today's show, sign up for our mailing list to receive additional resources via deptola.com. That's spelled like the Department of L.A. without the F. That's D-E-P-T-O-L-A dot com. Got more questions? Now that the show is done, give us a call at 714-349-9431. Frank Deptola is a registered representative and investment advisor representative with and offers security and advisory services through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Fixed insurance products and services are offered through Frank Deptola and Associates, LLC, or CES Insurance Agency. Our office is located at 2400 East Catella Ave, Suite 800, Anaheim, California, 92806. California insurance license number 0F34992. This podcast and any materials thereof are for informational purposes only. For specific advice, you should contact and engage a licensed professional to address your particular needs and situation. Results are not guaranteed, and stories provided are to exemplify different possible scenarios.